listeners, welcome once again to Troutman Pepper's Patent Post Grant Podcast. My name is Maya Harris, and I'm joined today by two of my colleagues, Frank Liu, one of my partners here in Boston, resident just down the hallway from me, and Dustin Weeks, IP partner from Atlanta. Dustin and Frank, welcome. Thanks, Thanks Maya. Maya. Excellent, excellent. So today we are going to talk about the exciting world of secondary considerations of non-obviousness, also confusingly referred to by a second name of objective indicia of non-obviousness. And like many things in the realm of patent law advocacy, as I find it, uh, you know, the devil here is very much in the details when we start thinking about evidence and, and arguments on these points. But before I get ahead of myself, because I think that's really the meat of our conversation today, Frank, can you start us off with what these secondary considerations even are and what they have to do with obviousness? Sure. Um, at a high level, the point of secondary considerations is to just provide some objective evidence showing why uh, invention isn't obvious in view of the prior art. Um, the primary purpose really here is to guard against hindsight bias. So when someone's analyzing whether a patent, rep patent claim is obvious in view of the prior art, it's really easy to fall into the trap of, I've got all the elements here, would have been obvious to a person of ordinary skill in the art. And so the purpose of the objective indicia or the secondary considerations is to try to provide some color around that um, to show really what was going on at the time the adventure was being made. Right, because how many times have we all heard the uh, the pat answer, oh, are you kidding me, that patent? That's clearly obvious, right? So we have to figure out some reason for, for why that might be the case if we see something with all of the elements checked off in the boxes of our claim charts. So theoretically, a patent can support, uh, a patent owner, excuse me, can support the non-obviousness of its patented invention by evidence outside of that nuts and bolts of a prior art or technology-based analysis. But uh, the PTAB and the Federal Circuit have made it pretty clear that that evidence by itself isn't going to be like a mic drop moment, right? So you can't just show sales of something, for example, and say, voila, uh, I, I've made my, my secondary consideration evidence uh, uh, and, and my burden. Yeah, that's, that, yeah that's, that's absolutely right. And so kind of one of the um, uh, more common secondary considerations um, is that of commercial success, which you alluded to. Um, Basically, what the uh, patent owner is trying to show there is, hey, look, I have a product that embodies my patent, um, and it's sold very well. Um, and so because of the high levels of sales, um, it means that my invention wasn't obvious. Um, but as you noted earlier, the devil's in the details. Um, are those sales actually tied to... Um, the actual invention itself, or is it something else? Is it due to marketing? Is it due to these other factors? Um, and that's what the obviousness analysis, the secondary considerations analysis tries to parse out so that they make sure that the um, actual evidence is tied to the claimed invention itself. And the word for what that connection is, Dustin, is what? That's called the nexus requirement. Specifically, the patent owner has to establish that there's a nexus between whatever evidence of secondary considerations they're presenting and the claimed invention. And who has that burden? Because there's kind of this shifting burden here that we have to worry about, right? Yeah, sure. So, you know, of course, the, the challenger of a patent always has the burden of establishing that that patent is invalid. But in the secondary considerations context, it's up to the patent owner to actually come forward with the evidence um, establishing that they, there are some objective indicia of non-obviousness and present that secondary considerations argument. And, you know, while the, 
patent owner bears the burden of establishing that requisite nexus exists between the evidence it presented and the claimed invention, the Federal Circuit has stated that there are times when that nexus can be presumed. The Federal Circuit held that a patentee is entitled to a rebuttable presumption that that nexus exists between the evidence of secondary considerations and their patent claim if the patentee can show that the asserted evidence is tied to a specific product and that that product is the invention disclosed and claimed in the patent. However, this presumption will not apply if the patented component is merely a component of a commercially successful machine or process. So if there are, you know, if the product is made out of multiple features and the, the patent is just directed to one of those features, then it's going to be pretty difficult to show that there should be some rebuttable presumption. But fortunately, you know, the inquiry doesn't really stop there. Even if the patent owner can't establish it's entitled to that presumption of a nexus, the patent owner still has the ability to establish that the nexus exists, but the key is that it must show that the evidence of the secondary considerations is the direct result of those unique characteristics of the claimed invention. Yeah, and so this, I think, is where, where those uh, devilish details really come into play, I think, uh, because now we're starting to talk about this coextensiveness uh, uh, requirement. So, uh, Frank, what, what can you tell us about coextensiveness and how does this play out when you're actually looking at patented claims? Yeah, so the coextensiveness question is really part of um, the analysis of whether there's a presumption um, of um, a nexus. And so what the coextensiveness requirement is getting into is, is just trying to make sure that the evidence that you're putting forth is commensurate with the scope of the claims. Um, what you want to make sure is that the evidence actually reflects the invention that's actually disclosed and claimed. Um, so this kind of prevents a patent owner from putting in some kind of unrelated evidence, like the evidence of sales um, that really don't bear any relationship to the actual invention. Um, so really it's preventing this the patent owner from just kind of throwing any kind of evidence and saying, hey, this is good evidence of non-obviousness when in reality it actually isn't. Right. And we see this all the time as well, right? When somebody says, well, my secondary consideration evidence is, you know, my 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 revenue numbers over a period of time for this product. But the federal circuits reminded us pretty frequently that there's kind of this spectrum of what a patent claim may or may not cover. So, you know, it's pretty rare, I think, to be on one end of the spectrum where the, the patent claim in, in particular that you're looking at actually is the product itself in whole, that there there is that that coextensiveness so that they're one and the same, the patent and the product. I think more frequently we find ourselves on the end of the spectrum where one of two things is happening, either the, the you know, product that we're talking about or the component that we're talking about that is in fact uh, the, the subject of the patented claims is one piece of a larger product or that the claim that we're looking at might encompass, you know, the, the elements of the product that is being sold, but maybe encompasses other elements too that that are not encompassed within in the product itself. So, so how do you make that connection? And is is I, you know, as a patent owner, or is the coextensiveness uh, um, analysis something that you should maybe be thinking about and thinking about something else from an evidentiary perspective, or or can you even establish an access when you're in those two camps? Yeah, so I think the what it requires a detailed analysis of claims. So you need to take a look at the claims, take a look at the evidence that you have. Um, so, for example, if it's evidence of commercial success, if your claim is kind of directed to the product as a whole and kind of claims the 
um, important features, then I think there's um, probably some evidence there that you can make out a uh, argument that the claims are coextensive with the secondary considerations evidence. Um, but if you have a case, for example, if you have a patent that's directed to a piece of software that runs on a smartphone, and you're trying to show um, secondary consideration evidence that you have great smartphone sales, um, you probably don't have a argument as to coextensiveness there. Um, it's because the claims themselves are directed to a much smaller part of the product that you're alleging has commercial success. So um, in that case, really, the key is, is just looking at the scope of the claims and just kind of getting a measure of art is it about the same as the evidence um, that you're trying to present um, well, making sure that the two are matched up so maybe maybe you don't get the the rebuttable presumption in that case but i don't know that and even under your hypothetical that you you're going to be precluded necessarily from arguing that there is nonetheless a nexus and i think that goes back to dustin's point about how the patent owner might have a second chance there even if you don't have coextensiveness evidence uh, in your favor is that is that fair to say or did i misunderstand that dustin yeah, Mai, I think you're exactly right. I mean, what you're going to need to do as the patent owner there is you're going to have to try to tie some aspect of those sales or some aspect of that industry praise or long felt need to whatever that specific invention was. So, for example, in the, the software on the smartphone hypothetical that um, Frank just mentioned. So let's say that, that that smartphone has been in existence for years, right? And this new software package was one feature added in the recent you know, version 25 or whatever of the phone. If you can show not just that version 25 got a lot of sales, but if you could show that the the market share of smartphone technology increased when you added that feature, well, then that's a that's a, some evidence that your specific commercial sales or your, your evidence is tied to that claimed invention. But what you wouldn't want to do is, in that same hypothetical, just come forward with evidence that say, that says, look, here we have this, this smartphone, you know, version 25 or whatever, and it has 30% of the market, and that's huge. So, therefore, you know, this patent must be uh, non-obvious. You, right. you need to tie it to your specific invention. And, and is the PTAB getting into this level of detail when it's being presented with secondary considerations evidence? A absolutely. I mean, if, if you look at all of the, uh, the, the PTAB jurisprudence on these points, you find that it, it, it's very rare, at least in my experience, that the PTAB is saying, oh, look, there's no evidence of uh, commercial success or there's no industry praise. What they're saying is that you haven't actually tied that specific evidence to the claims themselves. So if, if you just look repeatedly at the, the, the PTAB cases, they're continually finding that there was no nexus that existed between the secondary considerations evidence and the claimed invention. And therefore, they're rejecting that, um, that entire analysis set forth by the patent owner. So, so let's parse this out even further, though, because my understanding is that the PTAB's taking it even uh, in a bit more detail, where it's going to look not just at the patent as a whole, of course, as as we know it won't, but it's actually going to look at this nexus and apply it to each of the individual claims, and and maybe even come out with a different determination depending on what the particular claim elements are. Can you walk us through some of that analysis too? Sure. Um, so think of the situation where you have a very broad independent claim and then a more narrow dependent claim. And let's say that your the the independent claim would cover a series of three different products. 
but the evidence that you have is really only focused on one of those products. So in that situation, the patent, the, the PTAB might say, well, look, you, you're not, your, your evidence of secondary considerations or your evidence of objective indicia of non-obviousness is not coextensive with your independent claim because your independent claim covers a lot more than what um, is found in just your, in your one commercial product. But for example, let's look down at your dependent claim 10 or whatever, and that dependent claim 10 is really limited to exactly what that product is. Well, in that situation, the PTAB may say that, well, that, you know, your evidence is coextensive with claim 10 and maybe uphold the validity of claim 10 while at the same time rejecting um, claim one, the independent claim. Yet more reasons as practitioners uh, for us to remember that dependent claims are important too. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a reason we're drafting all those claims. Dustin, you raise a great point. Um, there's actually a relatively recent uh, PTAB decision from 2020. It's the Electrosonics versus Zaxcom final written decision. And there the PTAB went through a pretty extensive analysis of the objective evidence that was presented by the patent owner. This is a pretty interesting case because here there were really two sets of claims at issue. One where the PTAB found that the secondary considerations evidence did not bear an access to the broader claims. And then uh, in a narrower set of claims, the PTAB did find a nexus. So just backing up a little bit, this Electrosonics case, it relates to technology dealing with digital transmissions and recordings that's used in the movie industry to record audio from all the actors that are on stage. And apparently the product embodying the invention had received some praise from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts. They actually got a technical achievement award. And so as part of the evidence of secondary considerations, Electrosonics, they highlighted this evidence to the PTAB. The evidence itself related to this one feature, it's called a dropout feature. Basically, I guess when you're recording the audio, sometimes the wireless signal may kick out and their patented claim, the narrower set of patented claims addressed that specific feature of uh, dropouts, but the broader set did not. And so when the PTAB went and analyzed the broader set of claims, they looked at this evidence and saw that it was really tied to this dropouts feature. And they said that in the broader set of claims, because there's not a limitation that's tied to the dropouts feature, you really haven't established a nexus to that praise in the form of this technical achievement award. But for the narrower set of claims, and this was actually a um, set of substitute claims that the patent owner presented to the patent office, and these claims did include this dropout feature, the uh, PTAB actually said, well, they looked at the evidence again and said, well, there is some tie between the secondary considerations evidence to this dropout feature, and so therefore there is sufficient evidence there to support a nexus. So I think this electrosonics case is actually a great example of how the claim scope needs to tie directly to the secondary considerations evidence. Right, and just to, just to clarify that, so, um, so the broader claim set that was found to be rendered obvious, despite the secondary uh, consideration evidence, you're not suggesting that that claim scope did not cover the product that uh, apparently had, you know, praise from others. You're simply saying that it was broader than that and was not specific to the narrowed claim set that was found to be non-obvious. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's exactly right basically because it didn't have that 
additional limitation that specifically tied it to that secondary considerations evidence, the board found that there was insufficient evidence of a nexus. Not enough to get an Academy Award. You, you have to tie it to your claim, it sounds like, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll take the Academy Award, though. <laughs> Let's put it on the shelf. All right, well, Dustin, Frank, thanks so much. This is always an interesting conversation to me. I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things to be taken from a lot of this uh, discussion, uh, including the fact that we all have to be very careful when we get excited about uh, evidence like Academy Awards uh, on behalf of our clients. So thank you, and Dustin. Thank you again to our listeners. We invite you to join us for our next installment of this podcast series discussing strategy, trends, and other happenings at the P-Tab. In keeping with my newfound tradition of not promising anything about the future, I will just encourage you to stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, Troutman Pepper's intellectual property team will continue helping its clients develop and implement global protection and commercialization strategies for intellectual property assets in virtually all industry areas. For more info about how we can help you visit the intellectual property section of troutman.com you can also subscribe and listen to our other troutman pepper podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts including apple google and spotify thank you all have a happy holiday and i will see you in the new year copyright troutman pepper hamilton sanders llp these recorded materials are designed for educational purposes only. This podcast is not legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individual participants. Troutman Pepper does not make any representations or warranties, express or implied, regarding the contents of this podcast. Information on previous case results does not guarantee a similar future result. Users of this podcast may save and use the podcast only for personal or other non-commercial educational purposes. No other use, including, without limitation, reproduction, retransmission or editing of this podcast may be made without the prior written permission of Troutman Pepper. If you have any questions, please contact us at Troutman.com.